listen, this might not be the best podcast you've ever heard, but we think if you give it a listen, you might have a good time, right? Okay, time. There's a bug in there. Thanks for joining us for the uh, 22nd episode of OK Time. I'm Steve Ellis. I'm joined by, I'm joined with, I'm joined by. By either is fine. I'm joined with by Carl Grashit. Say hi. Good morning. Um, it's nighttime. We, um, last week we met and we spoke about uh, deprivation tanks. And, um, that was fun. And we, uh, assigned each other movies for this week. I watched eighth grade. You watched, uh, shirkers, shirkers. Shirkers. And we're here to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait. Actually. I enjoyed it this week. It's very, uh, it was, uh, it was a good assignment after the new year, I think. Uh, speaking of the new year, have you have you been running lately? No, I did the 10K on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. in Wilmington. I ran up to Delaware Tower and back. And you peaked? With a gr- group of people. No, I don't think I peaked, but like I have re- I've done a mini retirement. I haven't run since. And I thought my leg was hurting me for a while and then... <laughs> It felt, it felt fine. It felt, it felt fine. And then I just didn't run again. I have plans to, but I have, we've been crazy with moving and all that, but I'll come out of retirement. What about you? I have, uh, it had been a few weeks, but I ran yesterday and I felt a little bit embarrassed because I didn't want people to think that I was just getting out on January 2nd, like as a resolution. Uh, so I felt like I wish there was some way for me to tell each person that I pass, like I've been doing this since November. Just so I've you been know. doing this. You just need a t-shirt that says I've been doing this since last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that it could apply to everything. So I don't seem like a beginner at anything. <laughs> yeah. Just wear it to work. I've been doing Photoshop since 2018. Or a shirt that says running is my passion. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, uh, I'm just so interested in how pat how ex uh what's the right word um how people kind of get addicted to running and love it and can't they won't miss a run and they just look forward to it. I, I want to know what that's like, so I'm going to try to attain that. I did feel like that for a while. I would look forward to it for sure. I don't think it takes that long, honestly. You just got to okay. get through the first couple of weeks and not overdo it. Yeah. Well, I'm still not to the point where I can run the whole time. I'll walk some of it. That's fine. I think that's better. That's that's how I got into training for the 10K, honestly, was knowing in my head that that was okay with me and that I was still training and then I would build up to that nonstop running. So, And also follow me on Strava. I don't know what that is. It's a running app that's fun. I'm not going to do that. Do it, please tonight can we just let's just talk about running in real life and then i won't have to it doesn't count unless you measure the run on strava (laughs) i disagree i don't know that you did it 
We'll, so. just, we'll just have to agree to disagree. On Strava. <laughs> if I get on there, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you that I don't need to be on there and then sign off forever. I mean, that's fine. Okay. Uh, can we switch gears for a second? I just wanted to say like, but you joined us, uh, at our house for new year's Eve. And I must say that the best part of that was one, seeing how little, you know, about video games and your ability at video games is very, very, very limited. Um, (laughs) I was particularly bad at super smash brothers. To be fair, it's for the newest system, but also, uh, watching with you and Sarah, the ad Bassmaster videos was making me laugh so hard. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, sleeping on that guy. I didn't, I didn't really know about it. He's all over yeah. Especially, and he's from that. He's from like Philly. Yeah. Hometown hero. I appreciate how prolific he is. We also got Rosie, um, my child, one of them to go. Psh. That was pretty good. Has she done it since? Not unprompted, but mm. that takes time, I guess. Should we get started? Yeah. Give me a sweet interlude. Yeah, I just thought Shirkers was a fun watch and inspiring because... It's about young filmmakers making a very ambitious uh, ha- ha- <clears throat> movie. And it was um, just kind of the, uh, I enjoyed how they were showed so much of the footage of the film and were able to talk to so many different people that uh, were part of making it. And also hearing during the film that um, there wasn't really an independent movie scene so much. And so just kind of thinking about them as uh, pioneers in a way at 18 years old is pretty amazing. Uh, We should, I'm sure you're going to mention this, but they are from uh, Singapore. So uh, in the nineties, their independent film scene was kind of just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. talk about yeah i think that's what kind of struck me at the beginning of it was how young they all were and all of the cool really really amazingly uh creative and artistic things they were doing at like 16 17 18 19 years old when i was more more about like super dumb shit like going out of high school into college, like, oh, what's Bud Light? What? Yeah, I'll have some of that. Ooh. Legend of Zelda? What? <laughs> You're like, wow, we're publishing independent uh, art, music, film zines, and also making a feature length independent film. But you were like, I just got this sword for Link. I got the best of sword, Zobekini. <laughs> what gross here? Um, and then. So the backstory is that they've, they produced this film, um, with this sort of mentor like figure, uh, that they met in Singapore, it's mainly the, the narrator, um, Sandy Tan. So she, 
she make she narrates the entire thing, but basically it goes through th- the story is that they made it. Uh, and then immediately after it was pro- like production had ended the mentor guy, George Cardona, he just never did anything with it. And he had all the, the tape. So they, the film, they couldn't do anything that n- never came to fruition. And then, you know, five years later, he sends them a box of what they think are tapes of the film and it's just static. So it's like, they think it's a cruel joke to that guy and to them and it's just horrible. And they try to move on and and get past it after their dreams were just squashed and something they thought that was beautiful. They were putting into the world was never going to be realized. And then flash forward almost 20 years later, the guy dies and his widow sent lets her know that he had passed away, but also that he had the film completely undamaged in his possession the entire time. So then they think that this is finally the dream still alive, but then they realize that he threw away all the audio, all the sound is gone. So they just have this footage and not just, I mean, I'm kind of spoiling it, but please, please watch it listener. But you realize that the sound was gone at the end of this documentary, but they're showing you the footage from the the film the entire time. Basically it's, it's the main footage you see the, uh, throughout the documentary, it's like almost like ever-present B-roll over her narration. But after I got to that point, I realized that they were completely getting all these sound effects for the footage from the documentary the whole time you're watching this. And that to me was kind of mind-blowing. Like they're going and every time you see a scene from that movie, like a a slate shutting, they're making the noise for that. They're making mm-hmm. noise for grass and animals and music and sounds and sights of Singapore from that era that only as you get to the end of this documentary, you realize were completely brought in as they were making this, not part of the original film because that didn't exist anymore. So that was kind of mind blowing and tragic at the same time. Um, and I just remember f- getting through it. I felt really, really mad and just sad for all three of the main people, mm. Jasmine, um, Sophie and Sandy, because it's, an extremely huge venture to undertake at any point in your life, but to do something that important at a time in a country's history when there really was an independent film scene at all and to actually get it done. And then to then realize over several years that it was not only not going to happen, but even when you got part of it back, it, it was totally incomplete and kind of hollow and like a shell of its former self. And it just was extremely tragic and made me super mad because I can, anything I can imagine creating of that scale or magnitude and to have it like squash like that. That's, I don't know, just heartbreaking. Did you have to run down to the Tai Chi studio and blow off some steam downstairs in the basement? Yeah. The previous owner of this house had a Tai Chi uh, studio down in the basement listener. Uh, no, I, literally watched this documentary <laughs> an hour before we sat down. To talk. So you're still mad. <clears throat> yeah, I'm still mad. I don't know that I'll get over that, but so the fact that, it, I mean, it kind of is telling the fact that that they made that in like 91, 92 mm-hmm. and she only now is she able to make this documentary. So, and she, she, she talks about that, that she was approached several times to be interviewed about shirkers or mm-hmm. uh, to, just to talk about it or write about it. And she couldn't ever do it because it was too raw. 
Um, and I think that pain is still visible because when she gets with her two friends that were involved in the making of it, it's, it's, they get into the same arguments and conversational <laughs> yeah. patterns that they had. And I thought like that was so, um, indicative of the friendship that they have. Like you can have all these years pass and you might not see a good friend, but you fall right back into the same behavior of like banter back and forth. It was refreshing. Uh, maybe, <clears throat> maybe that's not the right word for it, but I thought it was, uh, something struck me as notable about the, what's the, the woman that Sandy is talking to, maybe the one that she's closest with and straight up is like, you're, a, you're, you're, you're an be, asshole. Yeah. You're an, you're a total asshole. Jasmine. Yeah. Jasmine. And just the honesty in their relationship was pretty impressive. And Sandy was like, seemed to res- kind of absorb that and be like, uh, and understood why she would say that. Yeah. And it almost seemed like th- through making this documentary and over the course of t- 20 plus years, she right, finally realized that she has had been an asshole, but was yeah. unable to admit <laughs> it like, you know, all throughout that time, which is funny. It's, uh, how did you feel? I, I felt frustrated by, um, uh, George, was that the guy's name? Yeah. I felt frustrated by the sort of lack of uh, understanding or knowledge about what his glitch was. Like he seemed to be different things to different people and like mm-hmm. seemed to mythologize his life. But you you don't get a good sense of like what his deal was and why he would do this. Like what what was he struggling with that would make him kind of, um, uh, hijack this film and sabotage it? Yeah. To me, that kind of seemed like a deliberate choice because they, if, if I were her and had been through that whole ordeal over several decades and finally got to the point where I could sit down and talk about this or make another piece of art based on the, remnants of shirkers the original film like would i i would want to touch on him or his life as little as possible only when necessary so i think i get that that's a good point yeah but he that i didn't expect uh to to hear and to watch about uh george and the fact that he had been a mentor to other people or at least was like a powerful figure in the lives of other people but also sabotaged hugely important creative projects for different people yeah that was his thing i guess yeah like what a dick any like he made up or mythologized as you said parts of his life and his origins to yeah add to that mystique i don't know to increase the just the mystery about his life and the perception that people had when referencing him but then you learn by hearing about from multiple people that he's claiming to be the inspiration for characters and iconic movies and things like this. And like, who does it? And then (laughs) stuff that he's telling them to do in in the original shirkers, like we're in different films too. So it's like, they didn't even know that the people in the production at the time, because they're, you know, they didn't see that until later on, but like, what a dick, what a total asshole and like a complete monster to do this to multiple people when they're vulnerable, when they trust you, when they expect it to work out and then you just squash on them like that. Yeah. I wonder, it seems like maybe uh sociopathic behavior. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'd sad when anyone dies, but it's like the way they had that come about, it was like somewhat satisfying as a viewer. You're just like, yeah, fuck that guy. But you know, also it's, it's sad, but it's even then it's like, is they think I, realized as I was going through it, I'm like, well, wait, well, here's this footage. Like when did they get it back? And then finally that's revealed like years later, they finally got the raw uncut untouched film. It was in good condition, but I'm like, well, what's, what's the problem then? And then they reveal that he had destroyed all the audio. So then you're like, fuck, you know, like all the glimmers of hope that they got throughout that process. And then each time it was like, Nope, Nope. Sorry. So, to me, the real triumph of this whole documentary is the fact that Sandy was able to revisit and have these conversations with her friends that were deeply rooted in the creation of that Shirkers project, but also to come up with this documentary, which I think is really touching and beautiful, like homage to the original project, but also the friendship that has endured in the sights and sounds of Singapore from their, you know, that part of the nineties uh, and to create really a story that showcases what that pain and that story of their friendship has been like throughout the years and kind of what it's evolved to now, but they still have the same behavioral traits and they interact with each other as if no time has passed at all. And I, I enjoyed that the most. It sounds like you watched the movie. <clears throat> I liked it. <clears throat> Rather than I know what you normally do. You just read an article about the thing that I find. <laughs> yeah. Normally what I do is, like I'll see what, what you tell me to watch or listen or read or experience. Like I didn't even go to the sensory deprivation tank. I just watched a video online and then <laughs> threw up a bunch of words. And then I read it out loud last week. I could tell. Yeah. So I would give this, it's hard still with, with our rating system in f- movies, but I'll give it four, four Pretty bugs good. in there. Okay. Pretty- yeah. I enjoyed it. I would watch it again. I think just, the fact that she's an independent filmmaker and has a really strong knack for storytelling, I think that's still very clear that that ability and talent hasn't left her throughout this process, even though she could have sworn off filmmaking altogether after being devastated like that. Yeah. But also that she, she hasn't and neither did Jasmine, neither did Sophie. Jasmine went on to make another independent film in Singapore and release it there, move back to Singapore. Sophie is like the chair of the film department at Vassar college. So they've, they could have easily sworn off filmmaking altogether, but they didn't. And I think that's the real, um, hurrah of this. Uh, I, I think I, I recall that detail about where Sophie works at Vassar. Um, I do wonder now how long she's been there because Emily studied film at Vassar. Oh, really? Uh huh. Yeah. And I've, I like Vassar is one of those schools for, to me, like I'm va- I'm aware of it by name, but like I, not geographically. So I had to Google it and then I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you should ask her. And Emily is your sister-in-law for people unaware. True story. Yep. Yep. Now you know. Uh, great. So thank you. Great recommendation. Really enjoyed it. Great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Later. So Steve, I don't know if you remember what middle school is like. I know you blocked a lot of those years out, but, uh, 
we watched eighth grade, Sarah and I, the producer a couple weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, I had heard about it. I had heard very good things about it. Uh, it was directed by Bo Burnham, who he himself rose to fame by making YouTube videos, like musical video, like comedy songs initially. And now he's, he has a stand up career and whatnot, but he made this and it felt like a very, very accurate portrayal of what it's like to be that age in middle school, but also kind of shocking at how much more scary it seems like it would be to be that age now in the age of social media. So, mm. um, thought you would enjoy it. And it, there were several moments where we're just like so cringy, like the main character, it's like the last week of eighth grade, I believe lots of cringy moments with just things going on in her life, but also the, the father trying to connect with her. I like felt that on a lot of levels. And I felt like that might be me like trying to communicate with either the two girls that I live with, like no at various points, they'll be like, I'm trying to watch YouTube. Shut up. Fuck, <laughs> shut up. And I'll be like, Hey, do you guys want to play some super smash on the switch? And they'll be like, that's oh, that's baby stuff. Mm. <laughs> so. Absolutely going to happen to you. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I didn't know. I saw a preview for this, but I didn't, um, I think at the time, like a year ago or so, I was thinking I would watch that, but then I forgot it was a thing. And, um, I don't know who Bo Burnham is. The name sounds familiar, but I've never seen any of his stuff before this. Um, and this was all news to me. I, um, was raised by wolves, so Mm -hmm. I didn't, um, have a, an, an eighth grade, um, (laughs) we we just played with rocks in the woods, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, they hit you with cringy right out the, out of the gate with, um, the opening sequence being a YouTube video that she's making. Mm -hmm. Um, but the first thing that I noticed that I thought was really cool about this movie was just kind of some of the details, um, that they don't, dwell on it's just kind of in passing like um it was in i think it was in the sex ed video um the woman says this is gonna be lit i know we laughed out loud at that (laughs) and then at the assembly like a a a teacher walks out on stage and some kid says are you my mom yeah and it's just like weird little stuff like that that felt so realistic like that's something that a kid would yell um and then I, I love the detail of the orchestra conductors like ripping um, rat tail. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, the, uh, I would say like the first half of the movie, I, I definitely was enjoying it, but I felt like it was difficult to, um, to, to watch a character, um, escaping through, uh, a phone and a laptop and Mm -hmm. different, all different types of social media. Um, it just felt irritating and, uh, kind of sad because I know that it was fairly realistic or maybe 
extremely realistic. Yeah, that first scene with her at dinner with her dad and he's trying to talk to her yeah. in a very, very basic way and she couldn't be bothered to look up from her phone. But also when she says like, you've allowed me to have this one meal a week where I can do what I want and this is what I want to do. That felt really personal to us because we have been trying to implement dinner times or like specific meals of the week where Mirabelle and Rosie, like there's no screens. So yeah. we all can like, interact with one another, but we give her, it, you know, if she's does the things that she needs to do, like chores, homework, and she's been good at school, like she can iPad and her games on there and her apps make her happy. So by all means, but it felt very real. And I think, like you said, sad, but like almost cringy. Cause you, if you can see someone just trying to connect on a human level and not really getting the time of day. Yeah. The, the dad was, um, it was interesting because it felt so sympathetic, the writing of him, like he really was trying and he's, um, you know, you see him like misstepping, but his intentions are so good and he's like doing everything he can to try to be a cool dad. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, typical like friction because preteens don't want to be, they don't want a cool dad. They just want to almost be like, it's like you can't win because the, it seemed like the character wanted to be invisible. Uh, in terms of home life, but you know, that doesn't work either. Like we all see, we know kind of from most of us from childhood, like you see the kids that don't get, that get ignored by their parents. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work either. Mm -mm. Um, but I thought it was cool that actually some of the, um, some of the advice that she had for, uh, I guess they were direct, her videos were directed at other kids like about her age, but despite all the trouble she was having in her social life, when she was actually in those situations, she, d- she had like pretty good kind of wise things to say in the videos. Like, um, she made that one video, which they were, uh, playing over her going to a pool party that she was really nervous about going to, and the video was, um, around putting yourself out there. Um, and she said, face your fears, let people know the real you. It doesn't matter if you're scared because everyone's going to be scared. And, you know, it's like, I felt, um, like a mature realization to make, like, it's okay to be scared because it, it's, it's hard for everybody. Like, I mean, some kids probably have it harder than others for sure, but, um, that age is just brutally awkward. Everything is awkward all the time. Yeah. That pool party scene scared me the most. Cause I remember being invited to, a uh, this girl's bat mitzvah in, I think in eighth grade or seventh grade. And I didn't go cause I knew there'd be dancing. And I was like, well, I don't, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if this, or she shadows a high school girl, like for the, her, a whole day. Um, is this a thing? Have you ever heard of this? Cause I would literally have died if I had to do that. I don't know. I feel like it's probably a thing some places, but it wasn't for me. But yeah, like the very first part of that, they're walking through the hall in a single file line in front of high schoolers. Yeah, I would want to grow up and die. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, certainly, 
I was glad that this was um, an assignment from the podcast because I don't know. It's possible that I would have not made it all the way through this. Um, I don't, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just, I, I don't have a problem with not finishing things. So I just like don't finish TV shows almost ever. And movies I'll like try a little bit and be like, Oh, that was all right, but not feel compelled to finish it. And I could see that happening with this, but obviously I didn't, I knew that I was going to watch the whole thing. And if I didn't watch the whole thing, I kind of wouldn't have gotten, um, the, what, what felt like a really interesting and surprising shift in tone. Like it's kind of one film until she has that interaction with the, um, the teenagers and ends up in a car alone with the one kid who, ends up like kind of um it's hard to categorize but it's it's a uh, harassment i guess you could call it mm-hmm. and just puts her in an un- uncomfortable situation embarrasses her makes her probably afraid of him um and then it's kind of like a different movie after that i mean it was interesting that that scene um felt it, it comes out of nowhere almost like it's for me, it was unexpected because it didn't kind of fit the tone of the film uh, prior. And then, mm-hmm. but it felt so um, effective that way because, you know, these, we live in a culture where um, men and boys can, can kind of, adopt this kind of behavior and think it's acceptable. And I, I think it probably often does come up in a matter of fact way or in a way that makes it feel like it came out of nowhere. That scene in particular made me feel the most uncomfortable as soon as like her friend that she had shadowed, um, at the high school left the car and it was just that guy driving her home. I was like, Oh my God, no. And then the fact that all that goes down and then he shame, he's shaming her and making her feel bad as they're driving home because she she was able to say no and like get out of that situation. But he's still making her feel like shit on the way back to try to save his own face. Like that, made me sick. And then like, also because you know that that happens all the time and then like yeah. men and boys do that. And I don't know if it's a learned behavior, probably in some cases, but also like they just think that they're entitled to that, but also they think they're entitled to get away with it and probably do it again. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about that, um, scene, it, it feels like it kind of, um, it, like I said, it changes the tone of the film and the, the first half is, I mean, I, f- I felt like there were hopeful moments with the, some of the YouTube videos and a little bit sad, but also like she's, she's sharing some things that feel brave and some things that feel wise, like I uh, touched on. Um, but it's like a sad kind of uh, hopeless uh, situation, but kind of there's a lot of frustration and, she's kind of feeling lost maybe and um, just struggling to be the person she wants to be. 
like so many kids that age. And then this upsetting scene happens with the older boy. And then it's kind of a different film after that. It's like from there to the end of the movie, it's more hopeful. It's, um, she's sort of on her phone a lot less after that. Um, and then she hangs out with that, uh, uh, mean girl's cousin chicken nugget boy <laughs> yeah gabe he is so i loved that character so much he is amazing so funny when he leaves the archery award that he got in front of her and he's like oh sorry sorry about that he's like that's stupid i'm sorry he's like, so dumb. <laughs> he's like are your chicken nuggets warm enough because i can heat them up in the microwave if not i'm glad that you mentioned that yeah i'm literally um taking I was taking notes during that scene um as to how I should behave on the next time I go on a date. <laughs> that kid was killing it. Yeah, he really did. He's like he he said um am I talk he was like am I am I talking too much? I, I I'm feeling very nervous. And that's a smart thing to do. Like I've heard that that's one of the best ways to cope with um social anxiety is to like name it out loud and say I'm uncomfortable right now because it takes the sort of friction away from um, what you're feeling versus how you're presenting. Like, cause we're usually going to try to pretend like we're not uncomfortable when we are. And that's just another task for us to do in an already difficult situation. So this kid's a genius. I love Gabe. I need a whole movie with Gabe, really. Yeah, Sarah said something similar. Uh, yeah, I think he, his addition to the the movie was really welcomed and made a very, very hilarious. He seemed kind of like a freaks and geeks type character. Mm-hmm. Totally. So um, I think that... I feel like I'm somewhere between a three and a four bugs in there. Like uh, I'm going to go 3.5 because I, maybe at some point we come up with a different, uh, not a different system, but different guidelines because it does feel hard to rate our experience with a movie. Um, But I, I liked it a lot. I thought I recommended it to somebody today. Um, I thought it was smart and uh, realistic and makes me curious about Bo Burnham. Yeah. I think maybe for you, it's just one of those movies that you, you need to see and you should see, but maybe like you only need to see once I'll let you close again with anything else you want to say, but I just wanted to add this last scene with the dad and the main character at the bonfire i thought was really powerful like that's where i was definitely tearing up especially as like a dad and a stepdad like to hear him be like no you're great i love you i would never think of you in that way like you're amazing like that that was great agreed nothing to add good movie thank you better than free willy too um i haven't seen free willy too yet and please don't assign it to me I won't. My 
song of the week is we we've each said friction a couple times in this episode. Are you aware of this band called Television? Everybody's been talking about them, but nobody knew about them. <laughs> Everybody knew about them. So I, yeah, Television. I became aware of probably six months ago via Spotify recommending it to me, and I know I realized that that's an incredibly lame way to discover bands that people have known about for many many years. But that's yeah, how decades, I came. really. Yeah, that's how I learned about that band and Marquee Moon, the album specifically. And then I later discovered that Sarah already had the album in our it was in my house. So I felt even more stupid. But the song Friction was the song that I first heard by them and I, I still enjoy it greatly. So I'm adding that. Do you keep that vinyl next to your archery award? No, for me, it was a um, second place award from fifth grade field day. Um, the shoe kick. I was this person that kicked my shoe off my foot the second farthest. That was really a contest? Yep. Commerce Elementary. You guys were some bobos. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I'm going to add um, la 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 la. <clears throat> is the band the song is called see you at home it's from an album called the lamb from 2018 i've been listening to actually i've been listening to uh the one from 2016 they have called sleepy had more but i think that they're both great albums and see you at home is a good sad song four minutes 12 seconds mm, i like sad songs too <clears throat> i can't get enough ever next week about it uh next week as you know when you were here on new year's i gave you a tangible album that you could hold in your hands black angels first record passover uh, when you added goat i thought that for for whatever reason you didn't like psychedelic as a genre or it annoyed you or maybe certain kinds of it um, but you said you and i listened to that goat song and i really liked it and i hadn't heard of them so that that was cool to learn about them but so i i wanted to give you this record as an assignment just to gauge your reaction i don't know what it will be but i think that's a good first album to listen um to the black angels it, obviously it's their first one that they made but uh good introductory album does it happen to be like where can i find the band camp or <clears throat> no all their stuff's on spotify I was just asking because I sold the um, vinyl. <laughs> oh, I, got, uh, I did. Guy. Yeah, I got store credit and um, I got a weird owl tape. <laughs> so riding dirty on the lawnmower. <clears throat> I don't know what that means. Um, so for I foreshadowed with the song of the week. I was thinking uh, La 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 La. Problematic band name. We can... We can all agree on that. Hard to say. Um, but they're great. I think it's kind of a solo type situation, but um, there's a record from 2016 that I, I said I've been listening to a lot. I think you'll like it. It's called Sleepyhead. 
And it's kind of just quirky, weirdo indie rock. Okay. Dig Reminds it. me of like being annoyed at your mom being like, oh, sleepy head. Oh. Shut up, mom. Shut up. <laughs> no, no. All right, I'll listen to it. All right. You should. Listen, this has been episode 22 of OK Time. We appreciate you tuning in. We had a, well, a, a wonderful conversation about Randolph and Gandalf and some other things. Our show is produced by Sarah Taylor Cummings. Our intro and outro music is was created by the Hokkaido Concern of Newark, Delaware fame. Uh, you can review the podcast if you want. We don't care what star you give us. Star count. We prefer five. Sometimes that's the only option, but do you do you. You can follow us on social media. Uh, I'm at Carl Grashit on most of them. Hairfort is where you can find Steve on Instagram. Join the conversation. Hashtag OK Time Podcast if you want, or hashtag vape, sad vape boy <laughs> is another one. I don't know what you're going to find if you use that or search for that on Twitter, but maybe us. Uh, we hope that this has been the best podcast you've heard all year. Uh, and that's that kind of dad humor is probably why my kids will one day listen to their phone while I'm trying to talk to them. Okay, guys. Follow the YouTube channel and share with your friends Gucci. All right. Night, night. I don't know what that is.